Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and thank you once again for joining us for what is going to be a spectacular show, I guarantee. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books entitled Bigfoot Terror in the Woods, Sightings and Encounters, nine volumes available in paperback and ebook at Amazon. And if you're an audiophile, you can pick up volumes one through eight at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. So please go out there and pick up a copy or two for yourself or somebody else, you greedy little bugger. <laughs> <laughs> and may I introduce you to my brother and co-host, KJ Sheehan. Kev, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you, Bill? Marvelous, marvelous. Spring is springing. Nothing can stop it now. <laughs> any sign of any <laughs> flowers up there yet or anything? Crocus? Well, I had the, yeah, I had the yard blown out the other day. Usually that's done, you know, before winter sets in, but the guy was like, whatever, behind schedule. And uh, when he blew all the leaves and branches and garbage out, uh, all those little bugger crocuses were under the leaves. Nice. So uh, it's kind of cool. You know, they're, they're always the harbinger, right, when you see the the bulbs starting to break break out of the earth. Yeah, down here in North Carolina, we got the daffodils are going mad, so we're a little ahead of you. And I noticed this morning when I was out, like the birds are uh, already starting to nest, you know. Okay. Yeah, so it's. I, I think... I think we're there. We're not ready to plant anything yet, but uh, it's definitely uh, coming. Well, don't forget to get Martha's tomatoes in the ground uh, as soon she, as possible. Believe me, she reminds me. <laughs> she goes out there and sits next to the gate like, hey, let's go here. Haven't you seen the robins? You see the daffodils? It's get time for tomatoes. On, <laughs> and if you just want to buy a basket of tomatoes at the store and give them to me, that's okay, too. For now. <laughs> exactly. A little preseason gift. The tomato-eating Labrador. <laughs> that is too funny. Yeah. You know, folks, uh, we talk about a lot of different uh, strange stuff on this podcast, but one of our listeners had emailed us a while ago that he also had a dog that ate tomatoes and vegetables and fruits or something or other. Oh, yeah. It's just kind of weird, you know? I got the plant-based diet Labrador. (laughs) (laughs) Goofball. Interesting, you know? Yeah. Well, 
So what do we have today, brother, in our cryptids in the news and other oddities segment? Yes, we are going to talk about the legend of the Loveland Frogman. Wow, Frogman? Yeah. Frogman. <laughs> we're not talking scuba diver, right? No, and we're not talking <laughs> Frenchie either. <laughs> not that kind of frog. All right. This is the uh, reptile or whatever frogs are, amphibian. Yeah, amphibians, yeah. definitely. Yeah. So so a lot of this story um, I drew from an article that was on the news site in Ohio called WLWT NBC5. So we'll give them some credit there. Okay. Um, and, you know, on the cryptids and the news and other oddities, I cover some stuff that is like really creepy and kind of gives me chills when I'm researching it. And this is more just in the weird category. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny. I was working on this one. It was in the uh, pile of stuff to do. And then I also got a letter from one of our avid listeners by the name of Zach. And Zach doesn't say where he's from. But he also suggested I... Uh, cover this one in cryptids in the news. So, you know, I dusted it off and here we go. All right. Yeah. I wonder if you'd what you'd say if a frogman knocked on your door trying to sell you some aluminum siding. Yeah, that might give me some chills. <laughs> Do you mind if I step in? <laughs> Ribbit. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> so, so this is from uh, the legend is from Loveland, Ohio, and Loveland is in the southwestern part of Ohio, down near the border of Kentucky here in the U.S. of A. And uh, it's probably you know it's probably considered to be part of Greater Cincinnati, the city of Cincinnati, and it's on the northeastern edge of Cincinnati. Or as they say down there, Cincinnati. <laughs> Is that what they say? I think so. <laughs> Don't get in trouble now. I'm in deep enough water with I the water. I was going to say, if I'm saying it incorrectly, <laughs> we will get 10 letters explaining how to say it to me, which I love. And I'm going to cover a couple of those in listener mail today, too. <laughs> so get ready. <laughs> All right. So the legend goes that there's a four-foot-long frog that roams the marshes here in Loveland, Ohio, but it roams the marshes walking around on its hind legs. Why, that is freaking strange. Yeah, very strange. And uh, the sightings uh, have gone back to the 1950s and as recently as 2016. Wow. Yeah. And this was kept, this came from a news network? Yeah, yeah. Any photographs? Uh, no photographs. No photographs of the critter. Wow. Yeah. That is strange. No shaky video either. Yeah. And no bear scene either. No, no. Hard to mistake a four-foot frog for a bear, though. That's the good news. Well, I don't think so. It could be a young bear. <laughs> a bear with the mange. The hair- <laughs> Hairless bear. Hairless bear. <laughs> Hey, Jim, do you remember do you remember the two cartoon characters, the frog and Harry? No. Yeah. No, yeah, I the don't frog. Know 
Somebody out there knows what I'm talking about. I remember the frog <laughs> on Courageous Cat and Minute Mouse. Ah. Yeah, that was the that was the frog and Harry. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, they were t- they were two of his, uh, you know, nemesis. Yeah, nemesis. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Ah, ah, see here, courageous. <laughs> yeah, that was him. The oh, frog yeah. and Harry. Yeah, yeah. And Harry was just like some big goofball. I I don't remember Harry, but I certainly remember the frog and that crazy uh, <laughs> half plane, half car. Uh, vehicle that Courageous Cat and Minute Mouse drove. Yeah, great stuff. <laughs> Sorry to I gotta, interrupt you. I got to look that up on YouTube. Works. I, I got to look that up on YouTube and see some old Courageous Cat and Minute Mouse. So, yeah, so vehicle- this, yeah, I'm going to cover. <laughs> I'm going to cover this most recent uh, sighting in 2016, okay. which is pretty interesting. And this gentleman by the name of Sam Jacobs said he was playing Pokemon Go. On his phone. And I don't know if you've ever seen, I know you just got a smartphone, Bill. If you haven't downloaded Pokemon Go, I think they came out with a new version of the game. You're going to have to download it and just check it out. Most popular game ever. Um, And what's cool about it is it's, um, um, geez, I can't think of it. Uh, Augmented reality. Sorry, the tech guy can't think of the name. So in other words, you hold up the phone in front of your face while you're walking around outside and you'll see these creatures appear in front of you on your phone and they appear like they are actually in front of you, like if you're walking down the sidewalk and then you basically throw like a little net on them with your phone and you get points for capturing these creatures. Huh. Super popular game all around the world. So, and they're all Pokemon creatures. But what's interesting here is this guy, Sam, is playing Pokemon Go, which causes you to see some weird things. Not necessarily a frog walking along the street. Um, But he's playing this game and he's walking along. He says he crosses the train tracks to the banks of Lake Isabella and he sees something strange in front of him. And he says, what we saw was a huge frog near the water. He does point out, not a creature in the game I was playing. (laughs) He says, this is actually a giant frog. And then he says, it gets really weird that the thing stands up on its hind legs and starts walking. And Sam said in the interview, I realize this sounds crazy, but I swear on my grandmother's grave, this is the truth. What a bizarre thing to run across. I know. Any description of what it looked like? So he says the frog stood around four feet tall. And apparently he did send some photos to uh, the, t- the television station. Uh, and they said that they were kind of dark and grainy. And they didn't publish them. I couldn't find the photographs. Huh. So well, listen. If if this fella is out there listening, we'd like to see those photographs. Yeah, no doubt. And he wrote, like he said, not sure if it was a frog man or just a giant frog that walks on its hind legs. He said, either way, I've sure as heck never seen anything like it. And me I, neither. I me neither, Sam. I've never seen anything like that. I can't conceive of a frog four feet long, but, you know, 
stranger things have happened. I mean, look at the size of some of these catfish and uh, turtles and things. I mean, there's some really mega-sized critters out there, you know? No doubt about it, yeah. Is it possible that there's a four-foot frog out there and somehow it can rise up and kind of waddle along like a duck or something on its back legs? I, I guess so, maybe. Maybe. Who knows? Yeah, that's... Wow. So, and then we'll cover another account, which is pretty interesting. This one comes from a police officer. So this goes back to 1972 at one o'clock in the morning where Loveland police officer Ray Shockey was driving along on Riverside Drive uh, and uh, alongside the Little Miami River when a big animal, unidentified to him, scurried across the road in front of his vehicle. He said the the animal was fully illuminated in the vehicle's headlights, and he described it as three to four feet long and about 50 to 75 pounds with leathery skin. And he said when he first saw it, it was crouched like a frog before it stood erect and then climbed over a guardrail and back down toward the river. Wow, that is weird as all get out. And a cop right. uh, re- reporting this, you know. Now, there's a potential, potential explanation for this one that Re- Officer Ray Shockey saw. Because after two, two weeks after the incident, I mean, we could debate whether this is a potential explanation or not. But two weeks after the incident, another Loveland police officer, Mark Matthews, he saw a similar unidentified animal crouched along the road in the same vicinity. And, uh, but Matthews got out his service weapon. And shot the beast, and he recovered the body, and it turned out to be a very large iguana, about three and a half feet long, but he didn't immediately recognize it because the iguana had no tail. Oh, that's freaking weird. Yeah. But what state What state is this again? This is Ohio, so there ain't no iguanas living up there uh, that are native, you know, but perhaps somebody had one as a pet, you know, and... Uh, the let the thing out or something because it got too big. I don't know, but uh, you know that could be that would certainly be a weird looking critter walking along on its hind legs and iguanas do stand up like that, um, and especially with no tail. Yeah, I've seen iguanas stand on their legs like to eat things. Yeah, exactly. Uh, to pick at things, uh, especially some varieties that are like in. Uh, Desert areas. In fact, I saw one eating, uh, uh, trying to reach up and eat some uh, flowers off of cacti. Yep. They do some unusual things, you know. Yep, no doubt about it. So, but that, you know, that was in 1972. I don't think there's Mm -hmm. a family of tailless iguanas roaming around. It doesn't explain uh, Sam Jacobs sightings or a lot of the other sightings that have been reported as well. Yeah, yeah. So. And, you know, really, uh, maybe from a distance, I don't know. I got to think, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking for myself now, obviously. I got to think I would know the difference between a frog and an iguana if I'm going to make either statement. I do, too. I mean, like, you know, you could say some reptilian creature. You know, right. dinosaur-like thing or something like that. But you don't think frog when you see an iguana. 
especially no, like with the spiny uh, uh, ridge down their back, you know, whatever they call that in iguana land. Yeah, they're two totally different looking creatures, you know. Yeah. Maybe the skin a little bit at a distance. Sure. But not the shape of the body. Right. Man, that's freaking strange, man. So this one officer shot this iguana. He, he was carrying more gun than he thought he was going to need. Yeah, brother. Blew the, <laughs> blew the iguana away. <laughs> they say they're good eating, too. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Harry Callahan meets the iguana. <laughs> yeah. Hey, punk. <laughs> Got to be asking yourself one thing right now. Was it five or was it six? In all the excitement, I kind of lost count myself. <laughs> Boom. Boom. So that that's the story this week, Bill. The Loveland Frogman from uh, Southern Ohio, just over the... Uh, border of Kentucky in, uh, you know, in a part of the country here in the U.S. That has some strangeness going on there. Yeah, there's definitely uh, strange goings on. And by the way, folks, if you know of any strange goings on in your neck of the woods, you can contact us on our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. Hit the contact button and send us out a little blast as far as what you've seen or know about in your area. And that includes Bigfoot sightings and encounters. Cool. Boy, that was crazy. Crazy yeah. as all get out, Kev. No and doubt. by the way, Cor- Courageous Cat's uh, vehicle had a cat face on the front of it, too, if you don't recall. Yeah, and it had like an airplane fin tail. That's the... Yeah. Yeah, it was great I stuff. I don't know what the deal was with that. <laughs> <laughs> but I did watch it every week as a kid, so that something was working. Something was working. That was great stuff, boy. Now, I got an account here sliding away from tailless iguanas and frogs <laughs> for a minute. <laughs> and uh, I thought this story at the time was worthy of inclusion uh, in one of my volumes. Uh, it's more of an evidentiary story passed down from an uncle to a nephew. And uh, from here on out, you'll be hearing Reggie Lacar's testimony as to what his uncle Frank uh, had shared with him. He says, I was born and raised in the Vancouver area. In college, I had achieved a degree in electrical engineering, found myself working for a startup company in Spokane, Washington. While there, I made friends with a co-worker, Clifford Wells from Pennsylvania. He, too, was an engineer. During one of our many dinners together and after indulging in a brew or two, We overheard some characters at the bar shouting and laughing with each other about Bigfoot. At some point, I asked Cliffy what he thought about the beasts. After Cliffy tried to make some lofty and skeptical comments, 
I reached into my wallet and pulled out a picture. It was the famous Patty picture, and I passed it to Cliff. He commented that he had seen it before, and he knew that it was a still from some cowboy's film clip, which had supposedly been taken in the woods back in the 50s or 60s. I told him that my uncle had given this to me when I was young, and that it had come with a warning. The warning was to always carry more gun than you think you're going to need when you go into the woods. And I carried a picture as a reminder of that warning. I began to share my uncle's story with Cliff, that he and his logging crew were actually run off a job by these things many years ago, up in the Canadian woods. Cliff interrupted to ask me if my uncle was still alive and then asked if it was possible to visit him, stating that he'd really like to talk to him about the experience and hear the story firsthand. Well, during a little summer vacation around the 4th of July, he and I went to visit my uncle Frank. We found ourselves sitting in his modest home, chatting about what I had said to Cliff and the picture I had shown him. At some point, Uncle Frank made a -a once-in-a-lifetime offer. Hey, listen, fellas, if you'd like, we can go up to the old logging site where I can show you some really weird stuff. Who doesn't like to see weird stuff? We certainly wouldn't turn down the opportunity, so we took off in his truck the very next day. It's actually quite funny, because my uncle never invited me to see anything before. Having a friend with me must have been my golden ticket. We drove for about 90 minutes until we reached a break in the woods where Uncle Frank turned off the road and onto a low mountainside, where I thought the suspension was going to fall out from under us. Eventually, the trail was so rutted it became impassable, but thankfully, We weren't too far from the final destination, so we got out and walked. Now, at the time, Uncle Frank was 76 years old, but he was still in good enough shape that he could challenge a bear to an arm wrestling match and probably win. The mile-long hike up the rest of the mountain was nothing for him. Eventually, we reached a flat-top area that he called the stage or landing, though I really don't remember which it was. He told us that many jobs had involved clearing out hillsides where severe windstorms had downed a lot of trees. These locations were what they called windfall. First, they would create a flat work area above where the trees that were needed to be taken. From there, they would place a type of machine with a big boom on it from which a thick cable would be run down to the base of the hillside by the crew. The cable would be secured to the top of a large tree at the bottom of the hill, creating somewhat of a cable tightrope from the bottom to the top of the work area. The men would work down the hill, trimming up the trees that were knocked down and cutting the trees which still remained standing. Once down, they would wrap a cable around the trees in small bunches, with this cable being attached to a hoist or a trolley, which was suspended from this overhead cable. The overhead trolley would then pull the trees back up the hill to the staging area. 
As we looked the area over, the place was a mess. It looked like a large bomb had gone off, leveling everything, though there was quite a bit of new growth that had crept up over the years. The evidence of the work that these men had performed was still more than evident. After a moment, my uncle said, If you fellas can navigate your way down over in that direction, you'll come across some old oil and fuel drums. Take a good look at them, and when you come back, we'll have a little talk about what you've seen. Go slow and watch your step so that you don't sprain an ankle or worse. When they cleared an area, they really didn't clear it at all. They took the money lumber and left everything else behind in a heap. Now, walking through that heap was like walking through and over a plate of spaghetti. Only the plate of spaghetti was made of tree branches, brush, and debris. Finally, we reached the drums. They were old, rusty, and crushed. But they all still seemed to be sealed and relatively full with the exception of a couple of instances where the welds on the drum had rusted out. Most of the other drums were still fully intact, but the tops and bottoms of each and every drum were bulging outward, as though some sort of pressure from within had forced them out. But that wasn't the weirdest thing. Each of the drums were cinched or squeezed in around the middle, forming them into what appeared to be enormous hourglass shapes. Upon closer inspection, there was no indication to our eyes of a chain or a rope having been wrapped around them and cinched tight to force the shape. There were no visible scratches or grooves in the metal, and many of them had a good amount of paint still on them. These were industrial 50-gallon steel drums, and you could smell diesel, gasoline, and oil in the area all around them. If Uncle Frank hadn't told us where to go, I don't believe anyone else could have found them. Many were wedged in piles of branches and debris. We climbed back up to the landing area, and what a freaking ordeal that was. Coming down was one thing, but getting back up quite another. And the crew had to deal with that mess every single day. These men must have been animals. When we had reached the top, completely winded from the climb, Uncle Frank laughed at us. He said, the two of you guys are wimps. So tell me, what did you see down there? I want to hear all about it. We described the drums to him, just like we described them to you, Bill. And then he told us to take a seat. He said that he and his crew of seven men had come to the site in the usual way. They had everything set up to begin work and had begun to go about their business. The 50-gallon drums were kept on the staging area, containing lubricant, grease, diesel, and gasoline. Everything that the machinery needed to operate. It was a large tract of timber, and they knew that we'd be there for quite a while, clearing it all out. When they arrived back to the site on the morning of the second day, 
they saw that there had been some damage done to the equipment overnight. Odd things were broken, smashed, or twisted, similar to the destruction that would be left by vandals. They couldn't even begin the workday until many of the things were fixed, and they had to go back to town to get tools and parts required for the repairs. It had only been one day, but they were already losing money. After the second day, on the third day, the same thing happened. They came back to the site in the morning, only to find much of the equipment had been damaged again. In fact, some of the things they had just fixed were broken in the same way. The owner, who was also a worker on the crew, was furious. He was cursing wildly and accusing an industry rival of sabotaging the job site. If the other guy had been there, guilty or not, there would have been bloodshed for sure. Knowing that they might be dealing with vandals, the boss decided to put an armed guard on the site. He approached two characters from a local gin mill, offering them 50 bucks a night to stay at the site with their rifles until morning. This went on for about a week, and every night they built a big fire and sat there until the morning. After the guards were posted, nothing happened. We had worked with no interruption for that entire week. So the boss got tired of shelling out 50 bucks a day and told them they wouldn't be needed anymore. He figured that whoever had been doing the damage would not waste their time coming back to the site anymore, now knowing that there were armed guards waiting there. The very next day, no fire had been made overnight, and there were no armed guards watching. When we arrived in the morning, all of the supply drums were gone. In a rage, the boss left the site and returned with four more drums, and that night, he decided to stay there himself. This time, he was not going to light a fire. He was going to sit quietly in the cab of the crane with his shotgun, and whoever showed up was going to get a belly full of lead. Well, the next morning when the crew arrived, the boss was nowhere to be found. The door was open on the cab, and the door handle had been torn off. We searched for him for hours, shouting his name throughout the woods, working our way up and down the hill, scouring every square inch as best as we could. The only thing we found was his 12-gauge, which was about 100 feet from the cab, and it was bent in half, like something out of a Superman episode. Worried, one of the guys went back to town to get the police. The next two days were spent assisting a massive search, but they never found his body. Only his hat and the four drums that had been brought to the job site that day were located. The search team found them in the same area as the five from the previous day's disappearance, right where you saw them lying today, squeezed around the middle and thrown clear down the hill. Something had picked up 
these hundreds of pounds in weight drums, crushed them around the middle, and hurled them 80 feet away. No human being or beings could have done such a thing. To this very day, the boss is still listed as a missing person. Something was not happy about a lumber crew invading their neighborhood, and that's for damn sure. What do you think of that, Kev? (laughs) Creepy, creepy. Something going on, and somebody dead. Yeah, and uh, Uncle Frank left with the memory and sharing the photograph with his nephew. And in case any of you people are wondering, that's where I got my little tagline from, always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Aha, good old Uncle Frank. (laughs) Yeah. I think he was a wise man to clue his nephew in. You know, should you find yourself in the woods walking around? What a bizarre circumstance, huh? The damage, broken things. I'm picturing this job site with, like, you know, mirrors cracked off, you know, handles wrenched out of place. You know, just general damage just to mess with somebody. No, no doubt about it. It's wild. But the... The most incredible thing to me was the drums squeezed in the middle, like something grabbed them, and the ends popping out from the pressure, and then hurling these things. If you believe the story, 80 feet down the hillside. And they, they couldn't have rolled much, right? I mean, if the if this hillside is filled with trees and debris. I mean, these things just aren't going to go rolling down a hill like a snowball. No, no. They were just like chucked and kind of landed where they went and it stayed there, you know? No doubt about it. But, you know, I have heard of this uh, before uh, in areas up in Washington State, uh, B.C., where uh, job sites were uh, infiltrated by apparent Bigfoot creatures that just took, like, large drums and huge spare tires that there's no way you're going to, a human being is going to move these things. Uh, Giant, you know, payload of tires on rims and crazy stuff like that, tossed around, thrown down hillsides, you know. These things are more powerful than anybody has any idea of. Uh, so this is really bizarre, huh? Uncle Frank, the logger from Vancouver, uh, <clears throat> just an incredible, incredible uh, account of potential. Now, if you don't think that was a Bigfoot, what do you think it was? Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I was just going to backtrack a little bit, Bill. Like a lot of sightings, like you said. Um, uh, in these logging camps, 
you know, up. Of course, you know, these folks working in the logging camp are by design in the middle of nowhere. And then they're right. living there often while they're working there. So they're spending a tremendous amount of time. So therefore, you know, when you like we always say, if you want to see something, you got to spend a lot of time there. You can't just say, hey, I'm going to book a week next year to go see uh, Bigfoot. You know, it doesn't work that yeah. way. Yeah. Well, you know, and Kev, you know, if you think about it, if you lived in an area that was somewhat remote, very woodsy, natural, even as a human being, if you had had a cabin there and your neighbor was a mile away and this is the way you want to live, you'd get ticked off if somebody started building a development over there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're cutting you know, in on your uh, living and hunting space, right? Yeah, I mean, I've lived here for 25 years, and now they're putting 100 homes over here on some tract of land. Yep. You know, and just in the natural mind, I could see just people in general being aggravated to the point of maybe filing a protest or so, attempting some legal action. Uh, but these creatures, they're not bound by anything, man. They just get hot. And, uh, you know, you know, they, they start doing what they do, which is either to move on, I guess, or stay there around what's being done or take some action against it. No, and you've said before, Bill, like that, that you have the range of personalities or you appear to have the range of personalities with these creatures. You know, some are totally passive. Some are pretty darn aggressive. Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, you know, uh. From all of the accounts that we have talked about and continue to talk about, you see this to be true, right? One pops its head out, stands up, turns around, and walks away from the person who had the sighting. Yeah, kind of gently hiding behind a tree, doesn't want to be seen. More like, honestly, behaving more like a rabbit if you saw a rabbit in your backyard in the evening. You know, kind of stay still, maybe they can't see me. You know. Yeah, maybe they'll go. Remember that story I had, the face in the eggs, I called oh, it? Oh, yeah, yeah, that was cool. Well, the guy was fishing by the river and kept imagining he was seeing a face in the bushes, and he's fishing and looking, and nothing's yeah, down moving. low, as I recall, too, yeah. it was like down low to the ground as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then finally this thing, I guess, decided maybe it got freaked out or whatever, but just stood up and and split. Yep. But uh, he must have caught it off guard, or who knows? We we don't know. We'll never know the rest of the story, as uh, uh, Mr. Harvey Paul used to say. Paul Harvey. Yeah, the rest of the story. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but, excuse me, there's certainly a variety of creatures, not only in appearance, but in... Uh, now, I told you, uh, I think I did, Oh, and by the way, folks, I did an interview on uh, Night Dreams Radio the other day with Gary Anderson. Uh, you may want to tune that in. It was a good show, about an hour and a half interview. Uh, Night Dreams Radio. Uh, Gary, in around 2000, uh, he's a photography buff. He takes a lot of pictures, I guess, still to this day. I really didn't get into that with him. Uh, but he had his camera equipment and another fellow with him, a doctor. And they had gone to Canada. And 
he wanted to film uh, what was an old Japanese internment camp from World War II. Hmm. And uh, Gary, if you're listening, and I botched this up a little bit, forgive me, but uh, you, the listeners, will get the gist of what happened to Gary. It was June, and there was still some snow on the ground when they got to this area. Now, I think Gary told me they could only drive in so far, and then it was a hike to where this old internment camp was. Right. Well, at some point, they found themselves looking kind of off or down into a a small river or a creek of some kind, and the doctor friend with him... uh, I think he was looking through a camera lens, said, look at that bear down there. And so they're looking, and moments later, this bear stood up and turned around and looked at them. And guess what? It wasn't a bear. (laughs) Not only wasn't it a bear, it started to come at them from where it was. Hmm. Well, they freaked out so much that they started to run, and Gary left his camera bag. Just, like, run. Now they're freaking out. They realize what they're seeing, and they're freaking out trying to run back to the vehicle. Well, they start to look over the shoulder occasionally, and this Bigfoot is going from two feet to four feet. That run down and up running. And they start to hear other creatures, apparent creatures, howling and making noises and screaming and whatnot in the woods. Hmm. They get back to the vehicle. Gary's so freaked out, he's the first one into the vehicle and starts to take off, not even thinking his buddy's not in the car yet. (laughs) So he stops, his buddy gets in, and one of these creatures took a boulder and threw it at the car. Whoa. And it was his wife's car, a brand-new vehicle that his wife had said, take this because you know it's dependable. And when they got back, the boulder had damaged the seam behind the door and, like, I guess the quarter panel to the point where you couldn't open the door. So imagine explaining to your wife what happened. I was just going to say, did he he say that his wife believed what happened to the car, or did she think (laughs) he had uh, a little too much bourbon and clipped a car pulling into the parking lot at the bar? I'm I'm going with the latter. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So anyways. I wonder how that insurance claim goes, too. Well, you know, we were out in the woods, and this Bigfoot threw a boulder at me. Yeah. And here you have it. (laughs) How much? (laughs) It's like my insurance agent. They'd say, yeah, that's good. Did did you happen to get the insurance uh, from the Bigfoot? No? Okay, it doesn't really matter how it happened. (laughs) Yeah, it's your fault. (laughs) Total total by Bigfoot. (laughs) (laughs) It should be on that uh, TV commercial, whatever that uh, insurance company is, where they have the trophies around the room of the different accidents. You had a, a big hairy man throwing a boulder. Yeah, right. Farmers. Farmers, yeah. We've we've seen everything. Dum dum da dum dum. Yeah, have you seen that one? <laughs> I don't know. Good stuff. But, Great uh, account, Bill. 
And yeah, great secondary no, uh, account from uh, your conversation Gary. on Night Dreams Radio. Yeah, Gary uh, is legit. You know, and when you talk to people, it's the same old story, folks, isn't it? I'm talking to Gary. I could easily switch uh, gears in my mind and say, here we go again. Another baloney story about Bigfoot. But no. Why would Gary make up this story? I think it was totally legitimate. And it happened, just like so many other uh, accounts about Bigfoot. Yeah. You can't approach everything. Kev, you know, the other night I was at work and I was talking to one of my coworkers about Bigfoot. And a couple of them actually show me stuff now. They kinda, they're kind of into it. I went back to that footage of that uh, Craven. Oh, yeah. Uh, Up in uh, Canada. Uh, what, yeah, was walking it Craven? Along, I think it was Craven, yeah, walking along the road. Yeah. I mean, that thing, man, when you look at that at a, a, on a big screen computer, not your smartphone. Right. But when you look at that as it was slowed down and that freaking creature, man, looked like Mighty Joe Long, Young in miniature. Mm-hmm. I mean, that thing was business. Yeah. And I said to myself, even though it was brief, that was no costume. It was too fully connected in every way. The skin was covering this massive muscular beast. The head and everything, it just screamed to me, living creature. Yeah. And, uh, and so many others. And, and we've looked at how many have we looked at where we said, nah, I think that's a guy. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I see more that I think are fake than real, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And that's how this, the other night at work, that's how this started. This coworker of mine had showed me a picture of one of these rearview mirror in a car at night of something chasing them. Yeah. And to me, it looked like a guy in a baggy suit running after him, waving his arms. I mean, that's exactly what it was. No, and I think that's, I've talked about it before, Bill. I think that's the biggest problem with any credibility overall for Bigfoot sightings is that there's so many hoaxes. Yeah. Um, Well, you you know, I don't know what the ratio is, but for every legit sighting, there's X number of hoax sightings, you know. Yeah, and I, mean, I don't know if these that's people. That's the think, challenge. Do they think they're going to make a buck posting this thing or something? Is that how that works? You make money posting things. Well, yeah. Online? If you if you get a tremendous amount of views on your YouTube channel, you start to make money on it for sure. Yeah, so I guess most of these people are hoping with their hoax to turn a buck of some sort. No, and I think some folks right there just horsing around. Yeah, you know, making footprints and stuff like that. You know. Yeah. Just yeah. Just, well, just having a guffaw, you know, yeah. with everyone. Which I, I hey, I, I respect having a good time. You know what I mean? By it. Yeah. Um, we, we just have to weed through it. No you doubt know, about we it. Have no to, doubt about it. I mean, it's part of the fun. The way, do, part of the fun. Right. It doesn't deter me. No. No. Uh, from anything I consider to be legitimate. No, but I always you know. tell people that. You know, when they talk to me about it, they're like, "Well, what do you think?" I'm like, "Well, there's definitely a lot of hoaxes out there." You know, right out of the gate. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, anyway, some really interesting stuff, including a leathery little frogman. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty weird stuff, that frogman in Loveland. I think it's totally weird, yeah. I told you, I promised you. I said it's not really creepy where you're going to get goosebumps listening to this account, but it is weird. <laughs> definitely I promise is weird. weird. All right. Well, speaking of weird <laughs> and maybe creepy, <laughs> we got some great listener mail this week, Bill. So uh, this first one, I don't know if you saw this late-breaking uh, letter that came in, uh, email that came in from, get this, Vladimir in Colorado. <laughs> Love that name, Vladimir. Yeah. And uh, he says, hello, WJ and KJ. And then he writes, KJ, I love your story about the vampire grave in Eastern Europe. Did you know we have our own vampire grave here in Colorado? And we also uh-huh. have a small group of real life, or more aptly, really dead vampires here, too. (laughs) He says, I especially enjoyed the image that you shared on your website with the iron stake being used to pin down the vampire. What you may not realize is that we can also pull up the stakes when we go out for a night on the town. (laughs) Next time you're in the state of Colorado... As I know you come here often, please come by to see me, Vlad. <laughs> I got news for you, Vlad. I'm not coming by to see you. Yeah, yeah. And he please do not fly over here and come and see me. <laughs> you can see Vlad answering the door in his... Uh, Courageous cat pajamas with an iron <laughs> steak hanging out of them. <laughs> but, but, I mean, to answer your question, Vlad, we actually did a story about the vampire grave uh, graves in Colorado and even a little story about the groups of vampires that are rumored to be hanging out. And I say rumored. They got their own website, for goodness sake, uh, in yeah. Colorado. So, yeah, there's definitely some creepiness out there in your state of Colorado. Not just the hairy man running around in the mountains. But also yeah. some uh, blood-sucking dead folks walking around. <laughs> Unbelievable, man. We get them all, Kev. <laughs> oh, I know. Hey, any of you other vampires out there that you want to write in, I definitely enjoy your uh, emails. But again, emails hey. <laughs> only. Don't come and see me. Yeah, and no blood donations. No, no blood donations and no withdrawals either. <laughs> Hey, do you think that guy's name was really Vladimir? I don't know. <laughs> Count Vladimir. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And our next uh, email is a little bit lighter from Sam in New Mexico. He writes, get this, Bill, what's up, KJ? <laughs> Thanks for the show. I'm an avid Bigfoot story listener. Bill has some very good ones. Just wondering if y'all have ever heard the Glag Saga on World Bigfoot Radio. It's about a guy who befriends an orphan Bigfoot in Idaho after its parents were killed by hunters. From there, the story gets crazier. It's one thing to believe Bigfoot exists and a completely different thing 
to know it. Keep up the good work. Sam. So, Bill, is this like the story of Harry and the Hendersons? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I never saw Harry and the Hendersons. But to me, Kev, uh, when I, as soon as I read this email, and thanks for chiming in with us, uh, of course, if this was legit, this would be one of the biggest stories to ever hit the planet. Yeah. Uh, and there would be film crews and TV shows and about this little Bigfoot as it was growing up with this guy. And nobody's going to keep that hidden. No, tough to keep hidden, too. <laughs> hey, that, no, uh, and you're, that kid in the car yeah. seat is kind of hairy. <laughs> and I never saw a kid. I never saw a hairy kid eating a leg of yak before. <laughs> but you know what I mean, Kev. Even if you tried to keep it secret, your neighbors would be digging for photographs that they could sell to someone. Oh, no doubt about it. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's ridiculous, but but it's fun, and uh, you know. So yeah. Sam, we uh, well, I haven't heard of it, the Glog Saga, but I don't believe the Glog Saga, <laughs> even though I haven't heard of it. <laughs> All right. (laughs) Our next uh, email comes in from Jane. Jane doesn't say where she where she's from, but she says, hi, Bill. Um, Excuse me, Jane. There's someone else here, too. (laughs) Maybe the person that reads your letters might want to mention. But anyway, hi, Bill. I'm patiently awaiting the audible version of volume nine. I work online all day and my eyes hurt, so I really appreciate the listening version and hope you will putting that out soon. Yeah, well, you know, I actually replied back to Jane and I told her with everything that's been going on, uh, particularly with uh, my wife and uh, prior to that uh, with my studio guy, uh Bill Herman, Paradiddle Records. Uh, it's been extremely difficult, and at some point we'll get that recording done. Uh, but everything seems to have kind of slowed down or got all chopped up and bugged up lately. So you got to do things according to priority, right, Kev? Yep. No, no doubt about and, it. But uh, it's good, and, and and Jane, we definitely appreciate that you're. You uh, are waiting for the Audible, and a lot. you're not alone. A lot of folks vastly enjoy Audible versions of these books uh, over the printed copy, and, and all books as well. And folks, if you haven't tried out, you know, Audible before, um, they're not a sponsor of the podcast, but, you know, it, it's pretty nice to be able to listen to a book, especially if it's uh, you know, the spoken word uh, of the author, like my crazy brother. Uh-huh. Yeah, so get out there and buy a couple of Audible books and do me a favor. All right, Bill, well, I <laughs> promised you some pronunciation correction today. All right. And it comes in from Julie from Maine. Uh-huh. She says, hi again. I'm still wading through your great podca- podcast, and I picked up a few things you might want to know. First, oh. Coos County, C-O-O-S, in New Hampshire is pronounced coos, two-syllable, rhymes with hoss. 
I didn't know that. But I spent a lot of time in the Pacific Northwest where you have Coos Bay in Oregon that is pronounced Coos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I've heard of Coos Bay. Yeah. And it is pronounced Coos. Oh, I know. I've been there many times. And then she says, and my pet peeve, Bangor, Maine, is pronounced Bangor, not Banger. I don't pronounce it Banger. I say Bangor. So, yeah, yeah. Come on, Julie. I don't say banger. Um, <laughs> I realize you fellers, our New York flatlanders, would have no way of knowing these colloquialisms. I was impressed to hear Kevin pronounce Roosevelt Lake correctly as Rue, uh-huh. not Rose. My kids call me the grammar Nazi. So I hope you don't mind me tweaking you here. Also, on the Bigfoot subject, have you read the book by Avril Seal called Monster Hike? One of your episodes mentioned the Sam Houston National Forest where this took place, and he more or less confirms Bob Garrett's claim that the government is culling Bigfoots there from helicopters. A fascinating story if true. Thanks again. I love your shows and books. Wow. The grandma Nazi. No, we don't. We don't mind the corrections, Julie, and to everybody else out there too. I find like I will mispronounce things when we are recording this, uh, you know, doing this live show um, that I normally pronounce correctly. So you know, there's also some there's a challenge to to uh, doing this uh, live unscripted show as well. Sometimes you say something incorrectly, and you don't even realize it. But when I go back and listen to the podcast before it's posted, I'm like, oh, that wasn't that wasn't too good. But, <laughs> but it is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. Oh man, that's crazy stuff, man. You know, a lot of people uh critiquing us as you know. It's all good. I can't believe she didn't mention your Oregon. Yeah, well, you know, that gives me more fuel for the fire because you know I like to irk people. Yeah. <laughs> All right, our last email comes in from Joe from Michigan, and the subject is, what if? He writes, hello, Kevin, and the other guy. I was listening to another podcast about the big guy. Sorry, I still think your podcast is the best. It's informative, and it makes me laugh. On this podcast, the question about what if... The Bauman man that Teddy Roosevelt wrote about was actually Teddy Roosevelt himself. He knew he was he knew he was going into politics and would be laughed at and may have never had a political career. He is the one who created the national parks maybe to protect what he ran into. Kind of makes you wonder. Hmm. Isn't that that's a pretty cool idea? No, it's an excellent flip. Yeah. And I'm surprised that I myself had never thought of that. I hadn't either. It's a a cool idea. Putting himself uh, in the story, but as another character. Yeah, he didn't want to write about a goblin, you know. Right, right. And like he said, if he had plans or aspirations for other uh, uh, higher offices or different positions in politics... Or even with dealing with trying to get the national park set up and, you know, everything he had planned, oh, yeah. uh, plans to do. 
it would make sense that he wouldn't want to implicate himself. Yeah, didn't want to compromise his credibility in any way. Right. That is an excellent thought. Yeah. I love it. And, and then who was that? So Joe goes on. He's got uh, some more in his uh, email here, a change in subjects, but it's pretty good. He says, on a, on a lighter note, Kevin, you talked about the time you were house hunting and ran into a property that had a cemetery in the backyard, and that was a deal breaker for you. And he says, well, my wife and I were house hunting and came across a nice house, so we thought we made our way down into the basement where we saw a pentagram on the wall. I just said, oh, heck no, and ran upstairs and, yeah. we, and, and and all the way out of the house, totally forgetting about my wife and the realtor. Oh, and I was the one with the flashlight. Lots of laughs. So we didn't buy that house. <laughs> I hope you guys are doing well. And Bill, my wife and I pray for your wife. Have a great day. Joe from Michigan. Excellent. Excellent, Joe. And yeah. Uh, good idea not buying that house. <laughs> and, and Bill, <laughs> I, I told you the story. We can end with a story for me about the girl I started dating when I was going when I was in college. Did I tell you that one where I went back to her dorm room and uh, she had a pentagram on painted on the floor of her dorm room with candles around the corners? No freaking way. Oh, I never told you that. I think you did. Oh. I don't know how I forgot Yeah, it. so she was this beautiful, tall, blonde woman, and I had seen her around campus, you know, and uh, I asked her out to go out for a cup of coffee or a drink or whatever we did back then, and uh, she asked me to come back to her dorm room, and when she opened up the dorm room, she had this pentagram right on the floor with burnt-down candles around the corner, and I had to, like, gracefully exit without getting her mad because I didn't want her to turn me into a frog right there on the spot. (laughs) Boy, yeah. But I'm telling you, I mean, I laugh about it, but I was creeped out. Yeah. And talk about being emboldened that uh, she would suggest that you come back knowing that was there for you to see. Oh, yeah. Very bizarre, man. Yeah. So that's it this week, folks. Great job, Bill, on the account. So uh, let's wrap this one up. Yeah, and folks, go out there and buy a couple of books and uh, help support the project. And if you should find yourself walking around Loveland, You'll never find (laughs) as long as you live. And you should run into a tailless iguana or a four-foot-long frog. Remember one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight. Thank you.